Thank you, sir. Well, it's a blessing to be here this morning. You have your Bibles. Be turning over to the book of John, the 19th chapter. We'll be reading a few verses there in just a moment. But uh, a couple of things I want to say, Brother uh, Roy Martin wanted me to mention to y'all that he appreciated all the calls and the visits and cards and whatever that you did to encourage him in his illness, and he wanted you to know that he appreciated that. Then uh, I noticed some uh, Christmas lilies, I guess they are, or whatever you call them up here, uh, and uh, we were glad someone brought those and kind of cheered us along this morning. Also, I had mentioned that in these uh, bathrooms over here, the new bathrooms, there's hot water in there now if you need them. Brother Hub and Brother Homer, I think, uh, put that in, and it's working well. And if you notice, this light's not dancing around so bad this morning. And uh, I thought it needed some balancing, but Hubble Cloud said we just uh, didn't tighten all the screws good. He got them all tightened up, and it's running good this morning. All right. If you have your Bibles and you found John 19, we're going to read verses 14 through 18 and talk about the resurrection in spite of Satan's attempt to stop it. <clears throat> starting in verse 14 the Bible says and it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour and he saith unto the Jews behold your king and they cried out away, away with him away with him crucify him and Pilate said unto them shall I crucify your king the chief priest answered we have no king but Caesar then uh, delivered, he, uh, delivered he him, therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth unto a place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him two, uh, and two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the midst. Father, we thank you this morning once again for the opportunity of being able to assemble with this people. Lord, I pray today that your Holy Spirit will be real in our midst, and to God that we'll recognize him and give him the right place in our hearts and lives. Lord, we'll be able to obey him and do whatever he bids us do today. I pray especially for that one who might be here today, Lord, that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior, doesn't have heaven for sure as a home. God, might today be the day you'd give them the courage and the boldness that they need to come and receive him and, Lord, to make a public profession of their belief. Go with us now in every undertaking, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I would like for this to be a jump up and down, praise the Lord, shouting uh, message. And uh, certainly Easter is a good time to have those. But I believe the Lord has led us more toward the uh, place of just bringing out some simple facts concerning these events so that as we think about them day to day that they'll have a greater impression upon our lives. And all of these events are so familiar with us, the sufferings of Christ, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and uh, still there's much misunderstanding concerning 
those events that surround these things of which we've spoken. And you know, we have a, we have, we t- we're talking about getting excited, and we get excited over Easter, and we ought to. What a wonderful time it is to have that day that's set aside to celebrate the time that the Lord Jesus Christ came forth out of the grave as a victor over death, hell, and the grave. Amen. And so I'm glad that that happened. And, but, you know, sometimes we wonder just how important is that? Uh, is that very important to the child of God? Well, let me read you something that Paul had to say to the church at Corinth over in the first letter that he uh, wrote unto them and in the uh, 15th uh, chapter. And uh, we'll start reading with the 12th verse. And uh, we'll find the Bible says here, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now to you who are familiar with those that lived in that time, there were two main religious groups. One of them were the Pharisees, and the other were the Sadducees. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection and angels and all of that, but the Pharisees did not. So I suppose this uh, message that God was sending here was primarily to the uh, Sadducees, and yet we have some people, no doubt, in our midst today that believe as those individuals believe. And so verse 13 says, And if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain or worthless. And your faith is also vain. Your faith is also worthless. Yea, we are found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ risen. And if Christ be not risen, your faith is vain, and you are yet in your sins. And then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ, that that is, have died in Christ, are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Now that was all the story. Uh, that'd be a terrible predicament to find ourselves in. But you know, I'm glad that God added verse 20 to that. But now is Christ risen. Amen. And that does away with all those verses of our witnessing being false and, and of the dead not rising and of those that have fallen asleep in Christ not being able to be resurrected. But now... Is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept? Isn't that wonderful? I'm glad that God gave us that assurance this morning. And uh, we want to look at some of the events, as I said earlier, that surrounds these happenings. And so let us revert back a little bit to the starting of the uh, series of things that happened to the Lord Jesus Christ during these two weeks. We are told that there came a time when Jesus said, it's now time. Several times, if you'll read about the life of Christ, he said, my time's not yet. Now, I'm paraphrasing this, of course, but he'd look over at his disciples and they'd want him to be uh, manifest himself and he'd say, boys, it's not time yet. It's just not time yet. But then we come to this 
time of the year, and he says, it is now time. And uh, the, the Bible says that one week, oh, and you'll find this over in the book of John, chapter 12, and start uh, with verse 1, you'll read that it says that six days before the Passover, Jesus came into the city. And that's the time when they wanted to make him king. We've heard two or three talk about that lately in preparation for Easter. They, they came and he come into Bethsabia there and they put down palm leaves and some of them didn't have enough leaves, lay their clothes down that the donkey of which he rode on could walk on. And uh, this was six days before the preparation. But then it says the next day, if you'll read verse uh, 12, uh, pardon me, verse uh, uh, yes, 12 of that same chapter, the 12th chapter. It said the next day is when this happened. He came into the city six days before, but the next day, and that means five days before the Passover. Now, you'll say, why are you making such a deal out of that? We're going to come back to that a little bit and tie it in with the resurrection. And uh, so we, we recognize people say, you know, Palm Sunday, and uh, we've accepted that over the years. We hear people say, Good Friday. We've accepted that over the years. But really, if you get out into the teaching of the Word of God, those uh, uh, labels that we've placed upon those days aren't true. Now, I don't have any problem with people celebrating those. It's a wonderful time when uh, Christ came out of the tomb and was resurrected, and, and it was a wonderful demonstration of love when he died and so forth, but uh, we want to dwell a little bit today upon the dates. And so uh, on the day that uh, uh, Jesus came and they wanted to receive him as king, uh, Jesus refused to be king. Now I think that those individuals that wanted to make him king was probably honest people. They were just honestly misled. They were honestly deceived. You see, all for 2,000 years, under the law, they had been taught that a Messiah was going to come and he was going to set up a kingdom and he was going to rule on David's throne. And uh, so when it came time, even the very apostles that had walked with Christ had a hard time accepting the fact that he was going to die because they had been taught all their lives that he was going to set up a kingdom. And I tell you, that's no lie. Jesus is still going to set up a kingdom. Uh, one day, and I don't believe it's going to be long, he's going to set up a kingdom. He's going to ascend up on David's throne. He's going to rule with a rod of arm. And, uh, but in between this time of which we're studying about the first resurrection and that time when he set up his kingdom, uh, the age of grace is in there. And the Jews didn't see that. And so... Uh, he refused to be king. Now, you know, the devil would have been tickled to death if the Jews had made Jesus king that day. Because if they had made him king, it had been hard to got him off the throne and on the cross. There would have been soldiers that would have defended him. There would have been people that would have stood for him. And it had been hard to got him off the throne on the cross. And that's what the devil knew. And that's the reason he was so pleased with that event those uh, that week before. And so Jesus refused, and the reason he refused was that when he sat out in that determinate council before the worlds were formed, 
with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, they made a plan. And uh, Jesus said, I'll be the one that will become the sacrifice. I'll be the one that will become the Lamb of God. And uh, he did exactly that. Remember John the Baptist. He saw Jesus coming down the road and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And uh, that's exactly what he did when he was crucified. He met all the specifications that the Passover Lamb made that all down through the ages that had pictured the crucifixion of Christ. And so uh, Jesus was crucified in our stead. And uh, he, he refused to be king at that time. And then the next event that we have, we have him gathered around the table at supper time with his 12 apostles. And I can, can imagine that even Jesus' heart was filled with sadness that night because he knew we'll never be together again just like we are tonight. Now, I'm not too sure that those apostles had accepted yet the fact that he was going to die and that he was going to raise after three days. He had told them time and again. You'll say, well, if Jesus had told me something, I'd have believed him. Well, now I'll tell you, he told you a lot of things. And, and this old book called the Bible. And uh, you tell me how much of that you believe. Somebody says, I believe it all. Brother Bobby, I, uh, he teaches our Sunday school class. He and I could agree. We believe it all. But does our actions speak truth to our words? Do we really believe that? Sometimes we'll come up to a commandment that God has given in his word and we'll say to ourselves, God really didn't mean that for me. You know, the devil sits down upon your shoulder and whispers in your ear. That really doesn't apply. After all, we live in the 20th, 21st century. And people live different now from what they did then. And people act different and talk different and dress different. But I want you to know the same God sits on the throne. His word hasn't changed one iota. And so you don't get too critical about those apostles not believing God. And even though it costs them much. And so he sat down at this supper. And uh, there was disbelief. There was sadness. There no doubt was some discouragement. You know, old Judas, we... we Put Judas down all the time, and he well deserves that. You know, I, I've thought about this. I've never known of an individual to name their uh, son Judas, have you? I haven't even ever known anybody to name one of their dogs Judas. And uh, Judas was a terrible feller, but I tell you what, he was a friend of Jesus for three and a half years. Because Jesus said, I was betrayed by a friend. And that night as Jesus sat at that supper table, he knew full well who was going to betray him. You remember he revealed to his apostles that one of them was going to betray him. And they began all to say, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? And finally they got around to Judas. 
And Jesus said, the one that has put the bread in the sock with me is the one that's going to betray me. And Judas knew he'd been found out. And he got up and he went out and left the rest of them and betrayed the dear, lovely Son of God. And then we notice not only was he betrayed by a friend that night, but he got up and led that eleven down that dark path to the Garden of Gethsemane. He got in there and found very little support from those other eleven. And then the soldiers came. And guess what happened to those eleven that was left? They all deserted him. Listen listen to me. You know, sometimes we get a self-pity party going on. Oh, Lord, what I'm having to go through, my best friend don't understand me. My, My most dear family member doesn't like what I'm doing. Oh, Lord, I'm having it so hard. I want you to know the betrayal of a friend killed Jesus. I want you to know that the the desertion of the other 11 friends hurt the heart of Jesus after he'd taught them again and again what was going to happen. And the reason he was hurt so bad was because of their unbelief. And so we find here that the supper's over and the garden experience is over and Jesus has been betrayed. We know the story of all the sufferings that he went through. The beating with the cat of the nine tails. Now I don't know. Uh, I told him in the Sunday school, Brother Eddie taught me a lesson and actually reminded me of a lesson. I've known this for a long time. That, that if it's my opinion, I, I make sure you understand it's my opinion. I don't know what they did at the beating of Jesus, but I do know this, that one of the uh, things that those men that used those cat of the uh, nine tails did, they had plaited in those little straps that go out, pieces of glass and pieces of stone, and they'd put a man up here and they'd begin to whip him from the back. And they said one of the sports they did they seen who, when they hit that man and drew the whip back, who could hit hard enough to throw the flesh of fathers behind him. I mean, that's cruel, isn't it? And they gave Jesus a whipping like that. They put a crown of thorns on his head. And I've seen some of those thorns. They're, it hurts bad enough to go out here and, and get stuck by one of those old thorns on a tree here. But it's nothing like the thorns that grow over there. Those thorns have got little poison on the end of it. And when they go into your flesh, they just keep burning and stinging and hurting. And so they platted a crown of thorns and put on his head. They pulled his beard out by the roots. The Bible says you couldn't even, and again I'm paraphrasing, you couldn't even tell he was a man. He was so disfigured. And then they took him up Golgotha's hill and they hung him on a cross. Somebody said they took his life from him. I beg your pardon. He said, I lay my life down. 
If I lay it down, I can take it again. The Bible says, talking about the cross, that he gave up the ghost. Nobody took it from him. He gave it up. And so he was hanging down on the cross. And, and I won't have time to go into all the reasons why uh, there wasn't any bones broken in his body. But he was hanging down on the cross. And, and uh, the Bible says, at the sixth hour, darkness came over the earth. Now you say sixth hour, that must have been six o'clock in the morning. No, sir. No, ma'am. You see, the Jewish day started at six o'clock a.m. The Jewish night started six o'clock p.m. And so the sixth hour would have been twelve o'clock noon. The Bible says darkness came over all the earth. And it stayed over all the earth until 3 o'clock p.m. Now you say, what, what kind of darkness was that? Back over in the book of Genesis, we find out that the Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth and darkness was over the earth. And uh, so uh, we, we start thinking about How'd that happen? Well, there wasn't any sun, and there wasn't any moon, and all of us know from going to school, that's where we get our light, right? All right? I've seen some heads nodding. Now, I've got something I want you to explain to me. When God started the recreation, he said, day one, there was light. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light and said, it's good. But it was way over on, death, on day four that he said, there was the sun and the moon was created. Now, where did the light come on the first day? It came from the presence of God. And the reason that there was darkness over the earth on that crucifixion day is when the sin of the world was placed on the shoulders of his son. God the Father couldn't look. And he turned his back. And Jesus said, my God, my God. Why has thou forsaken me? But he did it because of your sin and mine. So after that he was crucified, two young men came, Joseph of Amalathir, which was a very wealthy individual, and Nicodemus came and got the body of the Lord and took him down off the cross. And here's where some of the misunderstanding comes. Said they took him down because it was a preparation of the Sabbath. And everybody says that's got to be Friday because Saturday is the Sabbath. But you see, there's a weekly Sabbath, which is Saturday. But there are also some holy days, which were Sabbath. And it's made very, very clear that we're dealing here with one of the most holy of holiest days, the Passover. And so they, they took him down off the cross. 
not because of a weekly Sabbath, but because of a religious Sabbath. You say, is that important to me? Well, he'll give you a little something to think about. So they took him down. And three days, the Bible says, he came forth. I believe his brother Jeremy mentioned this morning that like Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, he was in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. Now, here's what I want you to think about. How can you bury a man on Friday and he comes forth early Sunday morning and he's got three days in the earth? So let us understand something this morning. You start, we know that Jesus came forth on the first day of the week. No doubt about that. And we've already told you that the, the Jewish day started at 6 a.m. and the Jewish night at 6 p.m. So Jesus had to come forth somewhere between 6 p.m. Saturday night at very early Sunday morning. So that means if we count backwards, Saturday night to Friday night, one day. Friday night to Thursday night, one day. Thursday night to Wednesday night, one day. So the crucifixion was on Wednesday. Now there's no use of you getting upset and running around trying to uh, make everybody believe like you do. I'm just simply telling you some little things that will make the crucifixion and the resurrection more real. And so we said we'd go back to that Palm Sunday. If the crucifixion was on Wednesday and if he came into the city five days before the crucifixion, he came into the city on the Sabbath day. And then let's move along very quickly. Uh, John said... Uh, John 20, 17 says, and again, somebody else read this this morning, that when Mary Magdalene and the other women went to the sepulcher early that morning, and she thought he was the gardener, and when she spoke his name, she recognized who he was. And no doubt she made an attempt to go over and embrace him or whatever they did in those days. And he said, Mary, don't touch me. Don't touch me. I've not yet ascended to my God and your God. And then the Bible says the same day the apostles met in the evening time. But Thomas wasn't there. And then eight days later they met again. And Thomas was there. And Jesus appeared at both meetings. And he said on that second meeting, he said to Thomas, if you don't believe it's me, he said, feel the scar in the side. Now the only way Thomas could have felt the scar in his side was by taking his hand. Now listen, here's what I want you to see. If he wouldn't let Mary touch him, and he told Thomas, feel the scar, did that mean he loved Thomas more than he loved Mary? That just means something happened between those two events. The Lord Jesus Christ went up 
into that tabernacle not made with hands. He went into that holiest of holies, not made with hands. And he took his own blood and offered it up on the mercy seat not made with hands. And it washed away all the sins that the bulls and the goats and the doves and all had been shed and covered over down through the Old Testament, he'd washed those sins away. But i tell you something better, he'd washed our sins away as well if we'll simply accept it. If you want to read about that tabernacle, you can find it in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. It says, he entered in once. Jesus will never enter that tabernacle again. You know why? Because the only way he could enter it again was to be sacrificed again. And he's been sacrificed all he's going to be sacrificed. The first time he came as a little baby, he was in a manger. But I tell you, when he comes the second time, he won't be in a manger. When he left this earth physically, he left hanging on the cross. But when he comes the second time, he won't be on no cross. The first time he came as a servant, the next time he'll come as a king. Just one other thing I want to mention before we close this morning. The Bible says when John and Peter got down there to the sepulcher, it said there was the grave clothes laying over there. And he said the napkin that was about his head was taken off and folded. That's very important. Folded. And laying over by itself. Why is that important? There was a Jewish custom. Just like we had a big breakfast back here this morning. Some of the fellas went back. I don't have any time. I lost count. But when those Jewish men and women left the place where they had been sitting and they folded that napkin up that they had been using and laid it down at their place, that said, I'm just going to get a refill. I'll be right back. But when they got through, they finished the meal, they were through, they weren't going anymore. They just wadded it up and threw it down. Said, I'm through. Now, what did the napkin folded and put in his place said? Jesus said, I'll be back. I'm going away for a while, but I'll be back. And I want you to know that promise is still good this morning. He's still in that far country, but he'll be back. And you better be ready. There's a difference in being, you better be prepared first. There's a difference. You know, you get when you get saved, you get prepared. Then after we get saved, a lot of times we get things in our lives we're not quite ready for the Lord to come back. Now I can tell you how you how you can really figure this out. You can say to your wife, at a certain time we're going to go to Muffinsville. And she'll say, I'll be ready. 
you get up at that time and start it. Wait a minute, I need to try to straighten my makeup up. And I'm not sure this blouse goes with this skirt. And really, these shoes don't match. She's not ready. She may be prepared, but she's not ready. And I'm afraid there may be a lot of Christians today that's ready for God to come back in their minds, but they're not ready. And I know that there are some who aren't prepared. May have not been a very good Easter message, but I did the best that I could with what God gave me. And I believe God spoke to hearts this morning. And I want to encourage you as the song leader and the pianist comes to the stage, I want to encourage you to think for just a moment. Am I sure if I were to die today, I'd wind up in heaven? If you're not, you ought to come up here and get a hold of one of these men that will be standing here and ask them to show you how. But if you know for sure that you're ready for heaven, you ought to check up on how you're living your life. I'll ask you to stand. Brother Mac, if you'll come to my right, and Brother Kobe, if you'll go over to the left. Ask Brother Van if he'll come to the center. These men are here to help you. The altars are open. If you want to pray, you don't have to be a member of this church to come. As we say. Number 471. 471. Search me, oh God. Would you just let God search you this morning? And know my heart. To know what you need to do is not good enough. You need to put some effort behind your surrender. Grand. 